Hey, I'm Steph. I'm Alex. And this is Not Today. You kind of like lead into it. That's we should remix it. Ooh, a little into like a little techno song. EDM. Oh, I would have so much fun with that. Yeah, you would love that. That would be extra Patreon content. <laughs> if you want to spontaneously turn into a DJ, let's pop for off. one song for one night. Oh, for it's one gonna... night only. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be bad. It might. It probably won't be that good. Considering you've you know never what? made it's music a labor before? of love. <laughs> you know? That's great. But you know what else is great? Updates on Sherry Papini. That's Let's true. Let's see what's going we on. We do, in fact, have an update on Sherry Papini. Uh, ma'am. What to say? Okay, so... I'm literally reaching for tea right now. <laughs> Sip your tea. <laughs> on Tuesday of this week, I believe, the 13th, Sherry Papini had signed a plea agreement admitting that she planned and participated in her own hoax kidnapping. She agreed to plead guilty to one count of mail fraud and to one count of making false statements to a federal law enforcement officer, and she had initially faced 34 counts of mail, fra- mail fraud, so this is a really good deal for her. Wow. Yeah. She has a quote saying, I am deeply ashamed of myself for my behavior, and I am so sorry for the pain I've caused my family, my friends, and all the good people who needlessly suffered because of my story and those who worked so hard to try and help me. I will work for the rest of my life to make amends for what I've done. Damn. Okay. I mean, if she really means that, you know, there's a redemption arc, for sure. I guess. But, I mean, you know, it is... It is a PR statement. Very true. Yeah. So I'm a little skeptical. Well, yeah, I mean. And she has shown quite a capacity to lie before, hasn't she? Yeah, I was going to say actions definitely speak louder than words. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. If she is convicted of mail fraud, she will face a maximum statutory penalty of 20 years in prison. 20? Yeah, and a fine up to $250,000. You get 20 years for mail fraud, dude? (laughs) I guess. That's... The well, amount that you get for, like, murder. Or, like, mans- a- people get less time for rape and manslaughter than they do for male fraud? Yeah, I mean... Make that make sense. I feel like we're continually shocked Astounded. and appalled by the justice system. <laughs> like, like, truly. Who set this up? I don't know. Did we ever have a reevaluation? A little quarterly review of the legal system. That would be good. You know, it would be like, hey, what just obviously doesn't make sense right now? (laughs) Perhaps this is one of those things. You would think. But then she also had a count of false statements to a federal officer, right? Does that also carry a sentence or does that not matter because it's less? I think that factors in, but I don't entirely know. I'm just looking at the Washington Post right now. So she's. it says she faces up to five years in prison and a fine up to $250,000 if she's convicted on the charge of making false statements to a federal law enforcement officer. So I'm assuming it's five extra years. So it's probably just going to be continual to tack on what she's actually charged and with. She's got 25 years then, or she's facing 25 yeah, years. Maximum. She'll probably plea out of it, but... 
Yeah, and she's going to pay more than $300,000 in restitution to local, state, and federal agencies according to the plea agreement. So she's got quite the bill. Yeah, she's got a house. Yeah. So that is the update as far as we know right now. But I will continue to update us as more information does come out. Yeah. I mean, we'll see if she makes good on her promise. Yeah, we'll see, I guess. I mean, I guess I don't know. What would you do? What could you do? I guess you just say you're sorry and pay the thing that you already have to pay. Right. serve your time. Yeah, that's really all she can do. I don't know. So... Not much of a redemption arc. That's maybe not, but maybe maybe she'll find a way. Because you know, I would imagine if she truly feels that way, she'll spend more time thinking about it than we will. She'll find a nice way to do it. Go sit. She really wants to go sit in the corner and think about what you've done, Miss Papini. In jail. Yes, exactly. Is it? I've always I've talked about this before, but like, isn't jail like the adult equivalent of time out? Yes, definitely. (laughs) No doubt. That's exactly what it is. Exactly what it is. Yeah, but anyway, we are talking about a cult today. Okay, this may not age well. However, oh god, I am a fan in the sense of a cult where you are convincing somebody of something that is quite crazy. I mm-hmm. find the pitch of that crazy thing very funny in the same way that I find the pitch of a pyramid scheme funny. Right. So I'm kind of curious what this cult is about, and I hope that this isn't going to age poorly. Um, It will. Oh, God. But <laughs> I get it. I get that cults can seem absolutely ridiculous because they are, you know, for the most part, incredibly ridiculous. Although, that being said, I was just watching a video of a cult deprogrammer on YouTube talking about... Actually, I think he was... Um, watching like cult videos or clips about cults from like movies and breaking it down and like saying if it's real or not and he was talking about how like anyone can be turned into a cult follower with like the right leader you know because that's the whole point is like you can if you're like searching for something or if you're looking for a place to fit in and like these communities like give you the world it's so easy to fall into it and then brainwashing happens like from the jump and anyone can be like turned into a cult follower yeah i mean it just happens step by step like slowly over time like a what is the saying like a frog boiling in a pot of water right you know it's just like when you realize that you're in it's too late right you know yeah it made me think about Scientology. We'll have to talk about Scientology at some point because yeah, for real. we were just having a conversation about this with one of our with one of our friends and she was talking about like this woman who got into Scientology and then her entire family was in Scientology and then her grandchildren were born into Scientology and like by the time she realized that she wanted to get out of it, if she left, she would have lost her entire family. She would have been shunned. She wouldn't have had any anybody or anything. Like that's how it happens is like you once you realize how bad it is and how deep you're actually in it it's like so impossible to leave in in a lot of cases at least true and you know what's fucked up is that it's so bad that she gave that up right yeah she gave up her entire family something like that well i need to watch scientology documentaries because i haven't really seen any but we'll have to do an episode on it at some point i'm sure um but this 
cult is the River Road Fellowship. And I had never heard of the River Road Fellowship before. And I think it's actually, I mean, I know it's actually pretty recent that this happened. It, the news of this broke in in like 2014, I want to say, or 2012. So it's it's fairly new. Okay. I mean, the cult isn't new. It started in the 80s, but like information about this cult is fairly new. Okay. Well, a fellowship, like what could be wrong with that? We're just a bunch of fellows. Right. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> Lindsay Tornambi, which is, who is one of the survivors of the River Road Fellowship, as well as a couple of other survivors as well. But we're going to be focusing mainly on Lindsay in the story. So Lindsay grew up in Pennsylvania, and she was the oldest of five kids. Her mom started homeschooling her kids from when Lindsay was in fourth grade, but she still got to hang out with her friends. She was in gymnastics and wanted to go into the Olympics, because what fourth grader doesn't want to be in the Olympics, I guess? But she was described as a ray of sunshine. She lit up the room. She was very creative, loved to reenact movie scenes, especially Annie. She's just like a normal, happy-go-lucky kid. The Tornambi parents were very invested in sharing their religion and their, you know, beliefs. And they would even have church in their home every Sunday. Because in their home? Yeah. They were, they wanted to share their beliefs with people in the community, I guess. So, like, they literally held a service in their house for other people? Or what? they held the service just for their family? No, for other people, too. Like, people in the community. I think it was more just, like, Bible study. Okay. I don't know. But they just wanted to... They were very religious. They just wanted to praise you that know? Lord. Yeah, they just wanted to praise the Lord, Exactly. Really. Because her parents were so invested in their religion and spreading it, it attracted Victor Bernard to them. And the first time Victor Bernard came into their home was in 1996. He told the Ternambis that his congregation had a farm in Finlayson, Finlayson, Minnesota, and he invited them to come see it sometime. From the moment that Lindsay had seen Victor Bernard and met him in her living room, she said that she knew that he was the type of person that anyone would stop and listen to. She could tell from the jump that he had a real authority over people. He was very charismatic, but not in the way that like a used car salesman is. He was charismatic in the sense of, of you don't cross him because he is powerful and smart. And if you did cross him, you'd have to deal with not only him, but all of his followers. Okay. So charismatic in the sense that he wields power. <laughs> I guess he's, he's very intimidating for sure, but he's also like very charming. Hmm. It was just interesting to me the way that she described char charisma. Mm -hmm. I guess she was describing it from like a later on in life kind of, way where she's like looking back on it he's very scary yeah you know he told the tornambis and just people in general that he was an apostle of god he was a shepherd sent by god and he was leading the flock he made it clear that he regularly spoke to god so he's okay. making big big bold claims bold claims that are unverifiable right and um seem to be par for the course if you're gonna lead a cult you got to be talking to God. Exactly. Okay? This is this is marketing 101 for cults. Right, exactly. So who was Victor Bernard? According to his friends at the time, Bernard was a party animal back in 1979 when he was in college and he graduated from the prestigious Breck School. I've never heard of it, but it was described as prestigious. So that's cool. 
The following year, when Victor turned 19, he met a man named Dr. Victor Weirwell. So two Victors. And Dr. Victor Weirwell was a charismatic religious leader. Sounds familiar. Who had tens of thousands of followers in 35 countries. Weirwell's religious group was titled The Way International. And Victor Bernard's friends at the time said they were surprised to hear that he had found God after finding this mentor because that just wasn't, you know, what he was interested in before. And now he's suddenly a, a godly man who's like following this cult and he has very extreme religious views. He just very much flipped on a dime. But he was also known as very much a, a ladies man. Like he knew how to turn on the charm with, with women and he took advantage of that. Carl Kaler, one of Victor's school friends, said, I just knew him as a mellow guy, a nice guy, not a huge personality, not a leader of his peers. So he did a lot of learning under Victor Weirwill. But he followed the Way International and learned from Dr. Weirwill until one day the cult fell apart in the late 80s. Weirwill was accused of brainwashing and having sex with his female followers, as was his successor, Craig Martindale, which led to hundreds of people leaving the group in the late 80s, and Bernard was one of them. At that time, Victor had left the group in 1985 and finished his his degree in theology in 1986. And once the Way International had disbanded, Victor Bernard kept his relationships with the people who had once been a part of this former cult. Although he had never had a position of power in the Way International, he started holding religious meetings himself, and he started leading them. What better way to start a cult than with people who have already been a part of a cult? You know? I mean target audience right he knew that these people were searching for something else and i guess he was like why can't that be me you know he founded river road fellowship in the early 1990s promising his new followers that things would be different from the way international because clearly it was a bad time for a lot of people right and i'm assuming it's going to be different (laughs) yeah super different Side note, when I looked up The Way International, I found their website, which is very much up and running. So really, they must have picked up the pieces and started back over because you can go to service for The Way International on Sundays. Like, it... Say, I want to know what their pitch is after the scandal. Like, what is yeah. your selling point after that? Well, when I went on Wikipedia to look it up, it was just like, change in leadership. Like, it was just like, we messed up with this guy and we're not going to continue to do the things that he did because he was a bad guy okay i don't know if it's still like culty maybe it's not but i i couldn't really find much other than like come to service on april blah 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 so i was like uh yeah i'm good yeah i'm good (laughs) i'm okay exactly right So as time went on, Victor became more and more radical with his teachings until he came to the conclusion that he was Christ in the flesh. Right. A God complex. Right. Very, very easy to come to. So in April of 1997, mom, dad, Lindsay, and her younger sister, Lacey, went to River Road Fellowship in Minnesota for their first visit. Upon getting there, they saw a bunch of people outside having what looked like a fantastic time. 
There were kids running around, people sitting in groups, playing instruments, people tending to animals, raking, cooking, just all the fun camaraderie of outdoor behavior, you know? Lindsay immediately ran up to a group of young girls who were sitting with a goat, and she was only 10 years old at the time, so she loved it since there were plenty of kids her age to play with and lots of animals to pet and to see. You know, very simple. You're a 10-year-old. It sounds lit. Right. From 97 until the family moved there in 98, the family would go back and forth to visit the farm multiple times. So they were constantly visiting. And most of Victor's other followers lived in Minnesota on the farm, with the exception of a few other families in Pennsylvania, like the Tornambis, that he was basically trying to recruit and join them as well. That was until one day Victor and a few of his other followers flew to Pennsylvania for the last time. And with everyone gathered at the Tornambi house, Victor told this small group that this would be his last trip to Pennsylvania. He could no longer split his time between his true followers in Minnesota and the people who continued to question him and their faith in Pennsylvania. He said that God told him he must fully commit himself to his other followers, and if they'd like to join him, they'd have to pledge themselves and their children to God by moving to Minnesota to live on the farm. You have to live on the farm with him? Yep. This is sounding like Waco. He said that you can either join them or risk finding your own way in the darkness. So he's also using, like, fear tactics. He's like, you will be damned if you don't, pretty much. Well... Isn't that a saying? Yeah. For the record, I choose the darkness. Every time. Yeah. Send me to hell. (laughs) Hey, uh, send me to hell. I'm good. I'm not going to your farm. Right, no. Okay? The goats were fun. Yeah. For 10 minutes. Right. And I love them. And, you know, I hope they pop up on my Instagram feed. because you. It Does this cult turn into, like, a cult of content where they just make animal videos? Oh, my God. They're all influencers. Yes. (laughs) Filming goats. I mean, and dogs. Is that not like already happening? Like, is our TikTok houses not a form of a cult? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, not in like the extreme religious way, I guess, but like yeah, in I the mean, we're all gonna live together and like do the same thing, and if we don't, then you're shunned kind of way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but you know, I'm sure this one's worse. Yeah, you could say that. You could definitely you say know. that. So let's keep going and find out about that. So out of the blue one day, Lindsay's parents told her that they were selling their house and moving to Minnesota, unsurprisingly. Lindsay was sad about leaving Pennsylvania because that meant they'd be leaving their other family behind. They had a couple, you know, aunts and uncles, but she was only 11 or 12, so there wasn't anything she could do about it. You pretty much load your kid up in the car and you're, you got to go where your parents go, you know? Yeah, you don't really get a vote. No, definitely not. Lindsay's mother was especially excited for this transition, and she even talked about putting on her wedding dress for their arrival, since they were basically committing themselves to Victor and the church. That's nuts. (laughs) That's incredibly intense. Why would she wear her wedding dress twice? Because she's marrying the church. What? I thought that was going to hit harder than it did. (laughs) (laughs) I think I missed the joke. You know, the joke is I'm ignoring the fact that she's committing herself to a farm and a man uh-huh. and focusing on the fact that she's wearing her wedding dress twice. Oh, I get which it. Which is funny because it's... Right, you, you don't know, wear the same thing twice. That you know, flew it's right just over a my little, head. It's a little less troubling at the moment. It was after Labor you know? Day. She couldn't wear white. That's so <laughs> That's so awkward. Ew. Ew. Goodbye. Do they have like a, a fashion person or like costume like... <laughs> 
the joke's at dead. The, at the farm? <laughs> it was a good try. Okay. The joke well. went right over my head, and that's that's on me, really. But so, <laughs> It's not because I'm not funny. It's not because you're not funny. I'm going to continue to stroke, stroke your ego. You're very funny. So... <laughs> Victor taught them that the church was the bride of Christ and he was Christ in the flesh. So I guess she was taking this very literally and she's like, well, I'm, I'm pretty much marrying Victor, you know, Mrs. Tornambi is a little unhinged. Okay. We're going to find, we're going to find that out as time goes on, if this wasn't already an indicator, but, uh, she stays unhinged. So that's unfortunate. The River Road Fellowship was a self-contained community completely isolated from the outside world. It sat on an 85-acre campground outside of Finlandson, Minnesota. It was extremely far away from anything and anyone, and to get there you'd have to drive miles down a dirt road. There were no newspapers, no television, no visitors from the outside world, and the children were homeschooled. They made their own clothes, they grew their own food, they set up small businesses like a pottery shop to finance the church, and there was a complete psychological wall around this community. They lived scattered on the land in homes and trailers, all within five miles of an old resort they bought that had been rechristened, quote-unquote, to be Shepherd's Camp. So the entire thing was called the River Road Fellowship, but this specific like lodge, I suppose, was called Shepherd's Camp. And everyone lived within a five mile radius on the land that they owned of this one lodge. Does that make sense? Oh, okay. I guess I just didn't have a concept of how large an acre is. Acres are big. Okay. Yeah. Victor Bernard told his followers that he was a shepherd of God and had been ordained by God and was sent to shepherd God's people. A lot of shepherd. Uh Uh-huh. But while some members lived in trailers on the property, Victor Bernard drove an Escalade. Of course he fucking did. (laughs) Hey, you know what? Christ needs luxury. Yeah. Let's be honest. I'm the son of God, so... Let's be very honest. The son of God deserves the best. Period. I mean, does he have Gucci shoes and shit, too? He had a motorcycle. (laughs) He had an Escalade and a motorcycle and took children on trips in a chrome-finished tour bus. this is almost like you know those televangelists who will ask people to donate and they're like literally millionaires with private jets this is feeling a little bit like that yeah a little bit but on a smaller scale yeah he's like i'm not in it for the money and the power i'm just the the word of god i'm christ (laughs) he also dressed like jesus like he wore the robes and like had like a shepherd's hook oh yeah (laughs) You know what you I mean? mean? A staff? Yeah, like a staff. Is that what it's called? I don't know. He looked like an old timey shepherd. Like he did wore he have, Jesus clothes. Did he have like a beard and shit? Yeah. Hmm. Is he a white dude? Yeah, of course he's, he's a, a white, white dude. dude. What yeah. kind of question is that? I know. It's just funny to me that like people think Jesus was white. Right. It's like, come on. It's like, babe, back to the chrome finished tour bus, okay? Right. So the way their religious meetings worked was kind of weird. So rather than hosting church services in one place, like in one sanctuary, members worshipped in small groups in their homes. And when Bernard stopped by for, you know, one of these services, it was like a visit from the Pope. Okay. Mm -hmm. He also, he did definitely like hold gatherings and, you know, teach whatever he believed in the Bible. 
but he had his own unique brand of scripture that nobody questioned. He basically... Made shit up. He made shit up. He definitely made shit up, and he interpreted the Bible in a way that was, like, so incredibly weird that... And people were like, ah, yes, for sure, because you are Christ in the flesh. Each week, I speak to inspirational people. Each one of them has been on their own remarkable journey. They've all chosen to share their stories with one aim, that if people can relate and get comfort from it, if it can help someone. As one of my guests said, there's so much going on in the world. We should be focusing on helping one another and making each other better. Each one is a superhero, not because they have special powers, it's because in spite of what they've gone through, they keep on going. I find them remarkable. Please listen to Chatterholic and hear their stories. Yeah, I mean, see, what's funny to me about this is having him pitching this to people. What's not funny is that people are believing it. No, seriously. And, you know, what he would say would be like, because, you know, he would say, I'm Christ in the flesh. He'd be like, whatever I want is what God wants because I'm God, essentially. So he could get away with anything and he could get anything and people would just be like, it's what God wants. It's insane. God wanted an Escalade. No, literally. Like, God <laughs> wanted over that. a chrome-filled tour bus. Like, he did have a wife. However, the two of them lived in separate homes on the property. What? They lived in separate houses. I, I heard you. you... <laughs> processing. I'm sorry, you didn't hear what I said? I'm processing what just happened. So this is like another thing like the Waco people where he just like has a fake wife and then fucks everyone else's wife. That will happen, yes, later on. Mm-hmm. Why is this a common theme? Because it's all about power, baby. It's this all about what he wants. And he's a an evil man who wants as much power as possible. Imagine that. Yeah. It's almost like people who are good wouldn't claim to be Christ in the flesh and ask for an escalade and say it's the word of God. Almost like that, you know? Almost. Almost. So for Lindsay, who had, you know, previously moved to this farm in Minnesota, everything was fine at first. I mean, she was like 11 at this point, although it was a weird transition for her. She had to see all of her personal belongings being sold because she wasn't allowed to have these, you know, whatever she had in Pennsylvania because, you know, they make all their clothes, they do all their things for themselves, they make all their food. So So, this has like a weird Amish flavor too? Yeah, it does. It really does. In Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Although this was all very weird for her, she did acclimate pretty quickly to the practices of the church. She would do farm work with the other girls. She would milk cows, take care of horses, gather eggs. And for the most part, she was just having a lot of fun with her new friends. Lindsay and her friend Jess Schweiss would play guitar in the church band. And as time went on, the group started growing and other followers were brought in from around the country. At its peak, the River Road Fellowship grew to 150 followers on this one farm, and they were living in a town made up of 300 people total. So this cult was literally half of the population of Finlandson, Minnesota. And I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, but... We'll roll with it. We're going to roll with it. 
we're we're sorry, but also you're a town of 300 people, so what are you going to do? Come after me? Also, your name is so hard to pronounce. Come on. <laughs> all right, let's not it's not our all our fault. We're not going to shit on Minnesota, but <laughs> We are going to shit on this town specifically. <laughs> That's not what I was getting at. I was basically I'm I'm getting at that this cult made up half of this town. Could you imagine living in this town? Like these people just move in in the middle of like, nowhere. Oh my god. Yeah. What is happening? And you're like, oh, now my neighbors are just a gigantic cult. Hey, you know what? Christ lives down the road. <laughs> oh my god, we're so lucky. <laughs> we're so lucky. <laughs> And they all believed that Victor was Jesus Christ in the flesh. He had such a tight hold on all of his followers and told them that if they didn't I'm follow... Sorry. What? I thought you said tight hole. Oh my god. He had such a tight hole. No. <laughs> tight hold with a D. He had them by the throat, essentially. How do we get past that? We don't. How do we move on from tight hole? You need to re you need to re say it. Okay. <laughs> Take two. They did all believe that Victor was Jesus Christ in the flesh, and he had such a tight hold on all of them, and told them that if they didn't follow his way or leave the group, they would all go to hell. As standard. Right. As much as people believed him and followed him, they were also scared of him. So people, you know, loved Victor. They really were like this is our savior but they also were terrified of him because he had a temper and would regularly yell in people's faces and also spit in people's faces he would throw shit he would have a tantrum and people were like yep no whatever you say goes boss Damn. imagine in the summer of 2000 victor gave a teaching to the church in the chapel at at shepherd's camp and the entire group attended he was teaching the book of ruth and how she left her earthly family and he followed that up with saying that, like the firstborn children of the Old Testament, all the firstborn children were supposed to be sacrificed to God. What? And he followed that up with a list of 10 names of the firstborn girls that would become the maidens, is what they called them, including Lindsay and her friend Jess, who at the time were only 12 and 13. And because he was basically God in the flesh... He meant that these 10 young girls would live with him at Shepherd's Camp and serve him and Christ. No. Who was him. No. Yeah. So Lindsay said when she heard her name, she was excited because she thought it would be a really good experience. And she was honored. And this was a privilege to be serving our savior. Lindsay's mom was ecstatic because her daughter was going to get to serve God in this big way at this camp. And her dad, on the other hand, was sad about it, but Lindsay assured him not to be sad because she would be back. So she was fully not knowing what this experience would be like for her and what was actually going to happen. Yeah, I don't like the way that this is going. This is 12 and 13 year old girls mm -hmm. living with him. Yeah. I just can't really see anything good coming of that. Anything great. Right. Um, that's what a normal person would think. That's right. But... It was 10 girls total, and Lindsay and Jess were the youngest of the 10. So they were 12 and 13. They were the absolute youngest. That but doesn't make me feel better. No, it's not better. I'm just I'm just telling you what it was. Gotcha. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I feel like any normal person would have been like, um, hey, random man, you cannot live with my 12-year-old. But this group was like, this is a privilege. You get to serve Christ. 
you get to dedicate your life to our Lord and Savior. Yeah, uh, you're shaking your head. I agree. No. The maidens were taken from their parents and their homes, and they all lived together in Shepherd's Camp to serve Victor. But this also came with a lot of expectations and rules. They would wake him up in the morning, prepare the bathroom for him, cook for him, clean. They would give Victor massages, haircuts, cut his toenails, anything he needed. They homeschooled themselves. They had to wear their hair up unless they were with each other or with Victor. They could not wear makeup or nail polish. They had to avert their eyes to anyone who was not Victor. And the biggest rule was they could never, ever be alone with another man. Because their purity was, you know, the most important thing. I mean, this is just a disgusting level of control. Oh my god, yeah. I mean, I can't believe... I mean, this is obviously insane and the entire thing is unbelievable, but I can't believe they had to homeschool themselves. How do you... You just hand a 13-year-old a book and you're like, learn it. Like, what? Yeah, I don't know what how that worked. They had to... They couldn't look at anyone. They couldn't look at anyone other than Victor. That's a surreal experience. You can only look at one person. Yeah. Or I guess each I mean, other, but like anyone outside of the Maidens and Victor, they could not look at. Yeah, I don't know. Like, how do you even like learn social cues and shit? You like, don't. You just don't. I mean, think about the people like Jess Schweiss. Her family joined Shepherd's Camp and joined the River Road Fellowship when she was nine years old. So... She has ne- she'd never had known anything that was even remotely normal. Like from when she was nine years old, she had her clothes made for her. She had all of the food that she ate grown in the same place that she was. She didn't have any access to internet or television or even newspapers. Like she did not have any access to the outside world. And I mean, same goes for, for Lindsay else. and everyone else. I mean, at least the adults got to choose to be a part of this cult, but the kids were just thrown in and they had no access to the outside world at all. And they didn't even have a chance to experience, you know, what life could be. Yeah, it's insane. So like I said, Lindsay and Jess were the youngest maidens and they thought that this would kind of be like summer camp, but they soon realized that this was supposed to be a lifetime commitment that came with a lot. They would only see their parents around once a month. And even when they did see their parents, like Lindsay saw her parents, it was a chaperoned visit because they didn't want her to say anything that she shouldn't. Oh God, this is like prison. Yes. The first night at Shepherd's Camp, Lindsay cried herself to sleep because she missed her family. And like, I just can't believe that these parents were okay with giving their 13 year old to a man who... You know, is was, violent. Well, that, but also like they only saw their daughter once a month in a chaperoned visit for how long? An hour? That's it? <laughs> like, what? I mean, you basically gave her up. Yeah, that was your currency to stay in the cult, to like be a part of this community and, you know, have this leader you paid with your daughter. And it's going to get worse, unfortunately, right now. And I'm going to give a little trigger warning for sexual abuse because we all kind of saw where this was going but it is just what happened which is absolutely horrifying so by the end of july Lindsay had turned 13 and it was the first time she was called into the lodge by victor that night he told her that he and god were very proud of the work that she had been doing to serve him 
but he followed that up with a disgusting question. He asked Lindsay if she had ever touched herself. And Lindsay, who was only 13 at the time, had been sheltered her whole life, as we just talked about, and she did not know what he was asking her. And she said she didn't understand what he meant. And this sent him into a blind rage, and he screamed at her not to play games with him and to get out before he slapped her across the face. So he absolutely lost his mind, and he hit her across the face and told her to get out. I thought you said he didn't hit her, but he said if you don't get out, no, no, no. I will. He didn't say before I hit you. He was like, you need to stop playing games with me and get out, and then he hit her across the face. Fuck. Yeah. Just because she didn't know what it was? Yeah. Oh my god. She felt terrible that she had made Victor mad because all she wanted to do was please him. But it wasn't long after that that Victor called her back into the lodge. And this time she was extra careful because she didn't want to make Victor mad again. And I mean, this is just a manipulation tactic, obviously. Right. I mean, this... It is what it is. So... And this was when the sexual abuse started. He told her that he wanted to show her how much God loved her and that it was only natural and that with him, her virginity would remain unbroken. And he told her how how angry God would be with her if she didn't give him what he wanted and all the disgusting predatory things that a person in power could say to a 13-year-old. He told her that it wasn't wrong, but then followed that up with, but you can't tell anyone about it. And Lindsay felt that she had zero choice. She didn't want to make him mad or to be hit again. And she was part of this insane cult and he was their savior. So she couldn't say no. At least she felt that way. I mean, who who would say no? Right, it's... and she's 13. She's 13. I know, and she's probably been there for years. Yeah, she had at that point. And, I mean, where are you going to go? Right. You're going to go home. Your parents are part of it. They gave you up. Yeah, this abuse went on for one to five times a month for 10 years after that night. Oh my god. He would just call a maiden into the lodge and rape them. He had a kitchen calendar on the wall with appointments for each girl, though no one said a word to each other about the abuse. At the beginning, the girls were told to use contraceptives with Bernard, but then he left for a surgery, returned, and explained that he couldn't have children anymore. When the girls seemed spiritual or obedient and they followed his orders, he demanded sex less often as if he was rewarding them. He told them that it was a way of being able to show God's love. Lindsay said at the time she didn't even know that it was rape until much later. She just knew that it was wrong. There would be weeks at a time where other followers of the church wouldn't even see the maidens. And then one day, they would see them following Victor, fussing with his clothes, or setting down his food as he sat down to eat and standing with him. They only attended to Victor. They only looked at Victor. And they would only see them, like, once a month. And if they didn't do what he wanted, the ultimate punishment was damnation. They were told that they wouldn't go to heaven and also be shunned by the group completely. And that's what Lindsay was afraid of. That year, one of Lindsay's aunts came to visit with Lindsay and her parents at the farm because they hadn't seen them in years. But that visit did not go well. They were told that they could not see Lindsay, which was incredibly alarming considering everything that they were seeing as well. So this aunt called her sister, Lindsay's other aunt, and told her what was happening and how 
concerned they were for Lindsay because they're seeing this insane cult and this crazy man and they're being told that they can't see Lindsay and she's like living with this man. So they're like, what? Like, what are you talking about? We can't see Lindsay. Okay, so a normal person is taking notice. Yeah. So this aunt asked the other aunt that they called if they could call the cops in Pine County, Minnesota to have them go and check out the River Road Fellowship because something wasn't right. The first call to the police came in in 1999, but it wasn't anything that they could actually act on, unfortunately. It was just a welfare check call. The police were asked to go and make sure that the people who were living there were staying there because they wanted to, you know, of their own free will. So the police did go out to the farm, but from what people had said to them, everyone wanted to be there. The only slightly weird thing was that they all lived together on this farm. So there was nothing this cop could do, and he just left. Yeah, I mean, wait, so he asked all the maidens, right? No, he asked the people at the place. I don't think he was allowed to talk to the maidens. I mean, can't you follow up on that? I mean, even if he asked the maidens, they're going to say, yeah, we want to be here. True, but... No one in this group had said a word about the abuse, and by this group, I mean the maidens. Not even to each other. I mean, like Lindsay said, she didn't even know it was really wrong. Like, she didn't even know what it was. So, you know, this is their group. This is their savior. This is their home. So they're going to say, yeah, I want to be here. Otherwise, they're going to hell and they're going to be shunned. Right. A little while later, Victor held a ceremony with the church where he took off his wedding ring to symbolize his dedication to the church. And it basically meant that he would now be married to the church. And this ceremony was followed quickly by what he called a salt ceremony. And this was only with the maidens and their parents. So all 10 maidens were sitting in the front row along with some of the group behind them. And the maidens were told to stand in the dining hall in a line with veils over their heads. From there, one by one, they were approached by Victor, who gave them a ring to wear on their ring finger and to spiritually marry him and the church. He would dip his finger into a dish of salt and then put that on their tongue, and then he would take salt for himself as well, which meant that they were married. So he ma- he married all ten of these maidens in front of their parents. And Lindsay had seen her parents share salt at their wedding, which made it feel so much more like a spiritual marriage to Victor. I don't know. This is just bizarre. I just think it's nuts that her her parents were literally there watching him marry their 13 or 14 year old at the time. You're, You're cool with that? That's cool to you? Apparently. This man who has so much power over everyone is marrying your 14 year old and you don't think he's gonna take advantage of that? Or is already taking advantage of that? He was already abusing them. It's insane. Shortly after this ceremony, this salt ceremony, Lindsay had gone to the dentist for a checkup, and the dental hygienist asked her about the ring on her finger. When she was asked about it, she got incredibly flustered and didn't know what to say, so her mother answered for her and told them that it signified her dedication to the church. When they got back to camp... That evening, Lindsay's mother told Victor about what had happened, and he, of course, blew up at Lindsay because, obviously, it was her fault. From that moment on, she was coached to say that her ring signified her, quote, dedication to Jesus Christ and symbolized my service to God and the church. 
So if anyone from the outside should ever ask her again, she would repeat that sentence. At that point, Lindsay did not want to be there anymore. She didn't want to spend the rest of her life as a maiden, but she was terrified to tell anyone about that. She wanted to tell someone what Victor was doing to them, but she felt like nobody would believe them. Not long after that, Victor had meetings with the maidens and their parents, and when it came time for Lindsay and her parents to meet with him, Victor basically told them that Lindsay was doing a great job as a maiden, and at some point he was going to have to consummate their marriage to lift her spirit up to God. So her father told Victor that he wasn't okay with that, considering one, he was a married man already, and two, she was 14. But he told them that he was spiritually married to their daughter because he married them and it wouldn't happen until she was 18 of course but he also made it clear that he wasn't asking for permission he was basically telling them the joyous news but why tell them because i guess in some way he's like i'm kind of saving face here a little bit i don't know he's like i'm gonna wait till she's 18 but Just so you know, she will be my wife and I will treat her as such. But I mean, she's already my wife and I have already been treating her as such before she was my wife. Please tell me this is like one of the first cracks in the facade. I really wish it was. No? No. They're just okay with that? Yeah. Nothing? Question? No. Okay. After the meeting, her parents left her there with him. Fuck. And her mother thought it was wonderful news. Meanwhile, Lindsay was sitting there feeling like she couldn't say anything about what was already happening. Well, I mean, in a lot of ways, she couldn't. No, right. What was her choice? Exactly. Yeah. She didn't really have one. No, she didn't have parents at that point. She was just living as a slave. Truly. Literally. When the summer of 2002 came around, Lindsay decided that she no longer wanted to be a maiden. And she was 15 at that time. And she went to the lodge to speak with Victor, and she told him that she wasn't going to be a maiden anymore, and she wanted to go home with her family. She told him one day she wanted to be a mother, and she wanted to have a family of her own. And he told her that that's not what God wanted for her. But her response was, yeah, but that's what I want for me. When he told her that she was being selfish to wanting for wanting to fulfill her earthly desires, she responded with, the blood of the lamb covers everything which is something he taught them, and it basically meant that all of her sins would be forgiven. So she she did a, an Uno reverse card on him. I love that yeah. from her. Yeah. Yeah, bitch, the blood of the lamb covers all. Yeah. Or, I don't forget what it was exactly. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. But yeah, fuck you. Mm-hmm. He told her that if she left, she would have to give everything back, meaning the veil and the salt dish and the ring. Gladly. Oh, no. Gladly. <laughs> what fuck am I going to do? Fuck it all what am I going to do without my salt dish? (laughs) And she was like, okay. And she handed it over. She literally just go to Walmart. They have salt. (laughs) In case you need another salt dish, they They have have them at Walmart. I'm sure that they have rings too. I'm sure they do. In fact, I know they do. So after that, none of the maidens talked to Lindsay or even would look at her. No one in the church actually would speak to her, including her parents. And she basically became invisible. She was finally honest, but everyone was so disgusted with what she had done, and her mother also told her how disappointed she was in Lindsay, and she cried for a week straight. Her father barely spoke five words to her during this time. 
After a week of living at her parents' house, Victor gathered everyone around a fire out by the lake one night, and he basically screamed at God about, about how could he lead the group on the right path when one of their own had forsaken them and thinks they know better than their savior. He talked about how they would all receive damnation from God, and everyone just sat there in silence and nobody looked at Lindsay, but it was about Lindsay, obviously. He then took all the maidens up on a hill, including Lindsay, and asked every single one of them what they wanted to do, if they wanted to continue being a maiden or if they wanted to leave. And they all said that they wanted to remain a maiden. And when he finally got to Lindsay, he asked if she would stay and fulfill her duties to her savior. And she hesitated, but ultimately she told him that she wanted to stay at camp and remain a maiden. Because what could she do? Fuck. I know. When I was researching this and I got to this part, I was like, yes, Lindsay, like, please stick to him. You're not a maiden. Like, yes, you got out. And then she was still there and then they shunned her and she was like, I'm going to be a maiden. Even though she hated it and she didn't want to be there, she was like, I have no other choice. I mean, it's the social... uh, Pressure? Yeah. The shunning is pretty bad in itself, I'm sure. Yeah. And immediately everyone was happy again. It was as if nothing happened. God, that's so eerie. I know. Don't just forget about it. Seriously. I mean, think about the kind of person who has so much power over a group like that, that he can turn not only the entire group against you, but your parents. Yeah. Like, her dad didn't speak to her. Her mom cried for, like, weeks. Or yeah. a week, whatever. I mean, but these people are clearly not well, because they just gave their daughter away to this bizarre violent man yeah Lindsay started documenting in her journal every time she would go to the lodge and she never wrote any specifics down but she would say something like she stayed after or she you know did something at the lodge jess the other young maiden did the same thing although she would mark each time she went to the lodge with an x on the date and it's so sad because this was happening to both of these young girls and who knows who else but they never spoke about it to each other And they were sleeping in beds next to each other. You know? It's insane. When Lindsay's journal was found by Victor, he brought it in front of all the maidens and told her how disappointing she had been before throwing it in the fire. So he was basically making an example out of her and saying, if you write something in this journal, I'm going to punish you and I'm going to throw it in the fire. So don't even try it. Things started slowly falling apart for Victor in 2009, finally. When it came out that he had slept with adult married women in the group. I'm sorry. This is what sinks him? Yep. This is this is the beginning of the end, at least. I mean, Jesus Christ. What do we what what? What what? I mean This is Victor Bernard. I <laughs> I'm sorry, it's not funny. <laughs> <laughs> That's insane. No, seriously. Like this is this is what made people start to question him and be like, You're a sinner. And you're not a good leader because you slept with married women. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. That's where they were at. It's insane. So Dawn Koch was one of these married women. One night, Dawn had stayed late in the lodge, of course, to play her guitar for Victor. And he had gotten angry at her singing and told her to take off her shirt. She was like, that's not appropriate. And he told her that anything he said came directly from God. So if she denied him... She was basically saying no to God. And he played it off as, this would help you free your singing and open yourself up to God. 
So she did, and she picked up her guitar again and sang for him, which led to him being incredibly creepy and coming on to her. But, you know, after it happened, she said that she felt incredibly guilty for cheating on her husband and she knew that it was wrong. But she also said at the time that she almost felt honored that God had chosen her. So this brainwashing goes deep, you know? I mean, not that we didn't already know that, but she's like, wow, I'm chosen. Yeah, this is how deep. Uh Uh-huh. But after that, she did tell her husband what had happened, which is when they left the group. But she had written a letter to Victor accusing him of sleeping with the maidens. And it wasn't only Dawn who had written a letter to Victor and accused him of having an inappropriate relationship with the maidens. People had noticed as time went on that Victor had gotten more and more touchy with the maidens and showed them affection in ways that a husband would show his wife. In, you know, quotes that someone said, and a man named David Larson, who was actually one of the co-founders of the River Road Fellowship, wrote a letter to Victor accusing him of abusing the maidens. When that happened, Victor had to address it, so he brought the letter in front of the group and he said that he had sinned but only in that he had slept with two married women. At that time, Lindsay was so brainwashed that she thought that what he had done with the married women was worse than what he had done to her for years. Some of the believers at the time were turning on him, and he knew it. A group of husbands confronted Victor about his affairs with their wives and approached the local sheriff claiming Bernard was sleeping with married women, but the police was were like, okay like that's not illegal that's not a crime there wasn't anything they could do about that as long as they were adults and consented consenting it was legal police had been given reports of possible sexual abuse of you know minors but at that point they were deemed merely suspicion so at that point that even though they wanted to they couldn't charge him with anything with the police yeah but with the police back in their business Victor decided to take whoever was still a diehard follower of him and move to the Spokane area of Washington State. Some of the believers went out to Washington with him while some went back out east. But for the most part, people didn't know where Victor was because at this point, he's like kind of trying to run from the cops a little bit. Yeah. Really innocent behavior happening, you know? Yep. In March of 2010, Lindsay was 23. And Victor had called her and a few of the other maidens out to be with him in Washington. By June, Lindsay had decided that she wanted to leave Washington because she did go out to this, you know, house in Washington and was living with a couple of other maidens. But she was like, you know what? I cannot do this anymore. And she couldn't get over the fact that Victor had slept with married women and she wanted to leave and move on with her life. So that was the straw that broke Lindsay's back, at least. She was like, that is a sin, and you are a bad person. And she left the cult. Wow. So she called up her mom, who agreed that she could come home. And she was driven to the the train station, where they bought her a train ticket and sent her across the country on a three-day trip back home. I'm still processing that the reason that she left was that he slept with married women. Yeah. It's so strange that the framework that he brought into the world was the same thing that broke it but in this like incredibly strange way Mm -hmm. where it's just like inconsistent but i don't know it doesn't make any sense correct yeah at that time Lindsay had no idea about anything in the real world 
She didn't know about the internet or cell phones or how to dress normally. Her whole life was this cult. And finally, when she was back home, she decided to tell her mother about the abuse that she had gone through for so many years. Her mom told her that she didn't believe her and that if she felt that way about Victor, then she needed to pack her bags and leave. A direct quote, according to Lindsay, was, quote, I know a lot of mistakes were made there, but I still believe Victor is an apostle and I'm going to follow him. And that was the last time that Lindsay ever spoke to her mother. Wow. You were like, no kidding when you said the mom was unhinged. Oh, yeah. How do you not believe your daughter? So disgusting. I mean, even if she did, she's like, well, the blood of the lamb covers everything. I mean, you know, there's no there's no reasoning with that. Well, okay, so actually, I was saying that because that's exactly what Jess Schweiss's parents said to her when she told them about the abuse. Her mother's response was, literally, the blood of the lamb covers it all, Jesus Christ forgives. So they were like, okay, sure, maybe that happened, but he's forgiven. And so Jess said she doesn't look at her parents as her parents anymore, because they weren't to begin with, because they handed her over to this crazy man, and when she said, hey, I need you to support me, they were like, well, he's fine. He's our savior. Yeah, they don't deserve any part of her life. God, no. No, no, no. Lindsay's father, Carmen who has since left the group, has said that he doesn't, he didn't know anything about her abuse. And even after they had, you know, the meeting with Victor, where he was like, I'm going to consummate the marriage with your daughter, he thought that it wouldn't happen until she turned 18. But that's still incredibly fucked up. And Dr. Phil ripped him a new asshole on the show because Lindsay brought her dad on the Dr. Phil show to like confront him. And Dr. Phil basically like tore him a new one. As he should. Yeah. Because in statements he gave the police later on, Carmen had said that he knew something was happening, but he was so scared to go against Victor and lose everything he had that he was like, I couldn't do anything. Well, you could have. You just chose not to. Right. So even with these statements where he basically said that he did know something was going on, on the show he, he said, I didn't know anything happened which doesn't really mean anything because as a father, like it's your job to know if something is happening. You know, your daughter is 13 years old and you hand him over to a crazy person. Like it's literally your job to know. So that doesn't check out, Carmen, the fuck? Lindsay did not forgive her father on the show because even if it was true that he didn't know what was happening, she, when she did finally tell him about the, the abuse, he never fought for her and he remained friendly with the church and even like asked her to stop trying to push this because he said it was hurting his reputation. Yeah, okay. He's literal scum. Yeah, like, there's, there's zero. You care more about the reputation you have? In the church. In the church over your daughter's abuse over a decade. Yeah. Really sit and think about how disgusting of a human being you are. Yeah. There's literally no redemption arc. Yeah. How do you get more selfish? Truly. Right. No, literally. So after leaving the cult, Lindsay moved in with her Aunt Frances. And she told them what happened to her. And her aunt and uncle said that she needed to contact authorities. Because that's what normal people say. Yeah. We're going to court. Right. So January 3rd of 2012 was the first time Lindsay contacted police to officially report her abuse. In November of 2012, authorities from Minnesota traveled to Washington State to try to find Victor with his followers, but he was, surprisingly, nowhere to be found. And at that point, he was on the run. Lindsay just wanted justice at that point, and she wrote 
to the president, she wrote to the FBI, anyone she thought that could potentially help her, she wrote to. The only people she actually heard back from was the FBI, but they told her that they couldn't help her because the abuse didn't cross state lines. I'm like, can you make an exception? (laughs) Our governmental institutions are impeccable. Yeah. Let me say that. It's insane. You know what? Hey, so sorry you had to endure abuse for 10 years, but since it didn't also happen in Iowa, can't help you. (laughs) Rules are rules. The fuck? So... At that time, Lindsay was very understandably in a very dark place and was struggling immensely with the fact that her entire life was essentially stolen from her and there was nothing she could do about it. And that's when she got a call from Tom Lydon, and he was an investigative reporter who asked if she would tell him her story to be, you know, reported on the news. And he told her he wasn't sure that he could bring Victor to justice, like actually, but he said what he could do was make a lot of noise. And after three months of investigation, the story came out and nobody knew about the River Road Fellowship. So this was completely coming out of left field for like the normal population. And it was huge. This was the push that authorities needed to really pursue the case. It is so fucked up that you need a political motivation to look into something as grotesque as this. Yeah, because before they were like, oh, it's just he said, she said, so we can't. Okay, well, if somebody says, I think this person murdered X person, Mm -hmm. do we need to have a he said, she said type of shit? Like, no, right. That's bullshit. And also the person that I said murdered someone is actively on the run from the cops. Yeah. Like, and actually hasn't said anything. So there is no he said. There's only she said. I know, but like even with like, like something like assault, they would look into it, right? Right. Like, I mean, oh, it is. It's sexual assault. He, well, I know, but I'm just saying like, oh, he punched me. Well, well let's go look at the footage. Like they wouldn't right. question that. I don't feel like. Yeah. It's it's insane. unbelievable. It's just so disappointing that this was the push that the authorities needed to actually take this seriously and pursue the case because both Lindsay and Jess were contacting police for years at this point. The Pine County attorney dismissed it, calling it a, like I said, a he said, she said case and discounted allegations that Victor was raping minors as just rumors when it was really just women reporting their abuse and their abuser was running from the law which is, like I said, an insanely guilty move, if you ask me. So I don't know why they didn't pursue it sooner. In 2014, though, less than two months after the story got dropped, so it only took two months after it was in the, in the news, Pine County finally put out a warrant for Victor Bernard and charged him with 59 charges. It took them two months to put out a warrant? Yes. After this story dropped, they're like, okay, finally... We're going to attempt to arrest him and we're going to charge him with 59 counts. I mean, great that you finally did it, but what took you so long? <laughs> like in the first place and then after the news, two months? Right. Beats the what hell out of What were you doing? Me. Right. Literally. Those journals that both Jess and Lindsay took each time they recorded the abuse became the charges against him. So Lindsay's journal, I guess, was thrown in the fire, but Jess marked an X on every day that she endured abuse. 
so he was given one count of felony first degree criminal sexual conduct with a person under 13 years of age, 45 counts of felony first degree criminal sexual conduct by a person in a position of authority with a person between the ages of 13 and 15, and 13 counts of felony third degree criminal sexual conduct by a member of purported member of the clergy, in case you're wondering. So he would be looking at at least 30 years in prison per count. Okay, so like a thousand years. Yeah, so if he was pursued to the highest degree, he would never see the light of day. Good. Yeah, that would be good. Oh no, Yeah. Don't fucking tell me. Oh yeah, unfortunately. Do so we have a plea deal? Something or are they like just, did the prosecutor like draw, I mean, just tell me, I'm but just I'm just like, you. Jesus Christ, I I just why is this going downhill? We were going to literally put him away forever. I know. Even with all these charges against him, he was nowhere to be found. For months, the U.S. Marshals Service, Service's most wanted list had a reward for $25,000 for his arrest. There were tips coming in from all over the country, but the big ones were sightings in Washington and also reports that he was going back and forth between Washington and Brazil. So agents were following who they thought were his like most devout followers who were definitely still seeing him and housing him and they would literally have their luggage packed to like go to the airport and fly to brazil so they were like really trying to get him they knew he went to brazil but they believed he was going back and forth between there and spokane washington to lead small groups of his religious followers and they believed that he was just jumping from house to house of his followers, evading capture. And when followers were asked if Victor had stayed with them, they would always say no. And they were taught to repeat the phrase, Victor has always treated me with love and kindness. That must have been eerie to get that sentence Literally 50 times. all the time. Yeah. You're like, I mean, they have to figure out that this is just brainwashing. Well, yeah. There were about 50 followers in Spokane, and they also set up small businesses like they did in, in uh, Minnesota. And the maidens in Washington had, like, a house cleaning business. There was, like, a couple of other things they were doing. So he was still, like, actively making money, which is crazy, off of the backs of his followers. Authorities apparently located him by tracking a maiden in Brazil that they believed he was staying with. And it took a while because there were multiple properties that they had to search and, like, you know, learn about and get into. And she was also very good at avoiding surveillance, like, counter-surveillance. So if they were following her in a car, she would pull to the side of the road and just sit in her car to see if someone was following her. So if they didn't want to look like they were following her, they would just have to drive past. Wow. Yeah. She's, like, trained in counter-surveillance? Yeah. Like, maybe. That's nuts. I know. So, but finally, in February of 2015, Brazilian authorities found Bernard in a condominium on Pippa Beach, an eastern resort town where he was staying with this 33-year-old former maiden. Lindsay was finally told that they got Victor Bernard. She said when she heard the news, she felt like she was going to faint because she didn't believe that this day would actually ever come. So, Victor Bernard spent over a year in prison in Brazil but Brazil's Supreme Court granted U.S. custody of Bernard, but only on the condition that his prison sentence would be no more than 30 years, which was the maximum time he would serve if he were convicted in Brazil. So the U.S. Marshal had to return him to Pine County, Minnesota on that condition. What the fuck? Did he get in with the Brazil politicians? Like, like what maybe. the fuck? I don't know. 
but isn't that so strange? They were like, okay, you can so... only charge him for 30, or you can only sentence him to 30 years maximum to get him back in the States. Why is Brazil so pro-child rapist? I don't know. What happened? I don't know. So in March of 2016, he finally faced the court in Minnesota, and Tom Lydon made sure to be in the front row. Lindsay's mother wrote a letter to the court in defense of Victor. Of course she fucking did. Saying that she didn't believe her daughter, and Victor had only ever conducted himself with purity and respect for Lindsay. Okay, well... Which is just so insane because it shows that even after all of this, him like evading capture and being on the most wanted list and going back and forth to Brazil and getting arrested and charged with 59 counts of like sexual abuse to minors, you're still saying that he is your savior and you will follow him to the bitter end. It's astounding how deep the brainwashing is. Yeah. On October 11th, 2016, Victor pled guilty in a plea agreement. Lindsay was able to give her victim impact statement that day and she told him that he was a coward and a rapist and she said that she was not scared of him and he had no control over her. She said it was one of the hardest but rewarding things that she has ever done. So as a part of this plea deal, Victor Bernard, who was 55 at the time, agreed to serve 30 years in prison. So he should have gotten 59 30-year sentences, but he only got 30 years. I know. And I thought that the institution I would be angry at would be, yet again, the U.S. government. But Brazil? I mean, we're still kind of mad at the U.S. government, but, like, also Brazil, well, I fuck mean, you. Like, you know, what? I think that the rationale here would be, okay, we kind of have to honor their terms or else they'll not extradite anyone else. No, no, I get that. And I'm not saying that, like, in this instance, it's like, oh, the U.S. was wrong. Or, like, you know, whatever governmental thing had to get him back was wrong. I'm saying they were wrong when they didn't pursue the case until the the reporters made a stink. Like, Correct. that's disappointing. Yeah, that's... So it's not like we're like, oh, the U.S. got wrong. Yeah, like, that's not excusable. No, it's this, um, this whole thing is fucked. But I guess I'm talking specifically about the sentence. Sure, I agree with that. So, Reese Fredrickson, the Pine County attorney, said that given Bernard's age, the prison term is essentially a life sentence. So, I guess it kind of gives you some peace of mind to know that he will, at the very earliest, be like, I don't know, 80-something, 85. I swear to God, people like this live forever and watch him have, like, a return tour. And he'll just bring all the people back. Yeah, so, unfortunately, he did appeal... And the defense got his sentence down to 24 years. So... But with what jury? It was based on a technicality within the case. Oh, fuck that. So it was like, oh, you missed a comma. And therefore, he gets 24 okay. years. What the fuck? It's was like it one really? Of those, no, it wasn't that. But I'm, I'm just saying, like, it was something stupid like that. Like, it wasn't like, oh, he's actually a good guy. It was like, oh, you missed something when you sentenced him, and therefore we can get it down to 24. I don't know. Can we not make reasonable exceptions? Is this hard? Is, is it hard? Hey. Is it difficult? A wise man once said, life is an unending, an unending horror. Unmitigated horror <laughs> that perpetuates itself in daily life yeah yeah we're almost done so let's let's keep going so the judge also gave bernard a twelve thousand dollar fine on each count twenty four thousand dollars total to prevent him from pr 
profiting from his story through a book deal or other means. And by law, 70% of any fine collected goes to a local victim advocacy program. So I guess that's... That's pretty good. Okay, yeah. I would like to append to that that 70% should probably just go directly to the victims themselves. Right. In January of 2018, an inmate, you're going to like this, Shane Kringen of the Rush City, Minnesota prison said he was doing God's work when he allegedly assaulted Bernard in his cell. And you know what? That's something I can agree with. Yeah. This inmate said he doesn't regret the attack and sleeps well at night despite giving Bernard a punctured lung and a traumatic brain injury. Holy shit. (laughs) His injuries included facial fractures, cuts, broken ribs, a punctured lung, and a dramatic brain injury. Kringen was charged with assault and was facing another decade behind bars from this attack, but Bernard didn't show up to testify in court, so he was acquitted of all charges. Oh my god. Yeah. Okay, this is something where I don't stand on the principle, you know? Right. Where basically... You're like, I don't support a crazy assault, but if I did, it would be this one. (laughs) And the but is what I live for here, Mm -hmm. because if anyone deserved it, it was him. And then to say that you were doing God's God's work... It's just the cherry on top. Right. A friend of Kringen said, okay, and honestly, I think they should buy you dinner for that one. And he said, dinner, a girlfriend for the night, steak dinner, fucking something. Like, <laughs> God. So he got some kind of good punishment. Or you know what? Intense he... punishment. I don't know that I should say good, but yeah. yeah. And if you want to buy him dinner, he has a Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> you can support him at... No. Uh, so in 2017, Lindsay Tornambi filed a lawsuit against the elders of the River Road Fellowship. Each defendant faces allegations of negligence and failure to protect and joint and several liability, which is a direct quote, but I don't entirely know what that means. But she's like, I'm going to sue the elders because you guys really, really did me bad, you know? <laughs> the understatement of the of the episode right. i mean aren't they also an accessory to serial rape yeah something like that but Lindsay said i didn't go into this for the money she said i just think people should be held accountable Amen. and i'm like that's and they should fair and you yeah. should get thousands of dollars yeah. if not millions as far as i know this lawsuit is still ongoing because i couldn't find like any sort of conclusion to it but I hope that she gets a lot of money. I hope that she gets enough money to where she can just have freedom because yeah. they took the first half of her life for Seriously. her. And she deserves the second. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I don't know. I think as a cherry on top, it's only fair if they buy her an Escalade. I think that's true. This is very sad. This next part, Jess Schweiss sadly took her life in March of 2020. Oh. Her family says that they remember her for her laughter, her smile, and of course, her staggering courage. And it's because of her and Lindsay that Victor was brought to justice in the first place. And it's so, so tragic and so unbelievably sad that it's hard to talk about, but I couldn't not say that this happened because it's just so unfortunate that this had to happen and that that's what came of it, you know? Yeah, I know. It's... I mean, he took her entire childhood and yeah. treated her like a slave. And this is, she felt like she couldn't come out of it yeah. at the end. It's just so horrific. I don't know what could have made it worse. 
Yeah. Lindsay has since relocated to Washington, D.C., but her mother and two younger sisters are still following Victor Bernard. She lives with her Aunt Frances, or she at least did for a time, but she's still very close to her Aunt Frances and says that she is her rock, which is great to hear because at least she has someone to step into, you know, a motherly figure for her. Right. I don't really have any other information on where Lindsay is or what she's doing, but that's yeah, fine. She deserves like she, privacy. She deserves some privacy, some yeah. peace. I hope she gets a lot of money, you know? Yeah. I mean, if anyone deserves, like, a mansion in the Hamptons right now... <laughs> it's Lindsay. It's Lindsay. Yeah, and I, I really hope that Victor Bernard does not get out earlier than he should, because 24 years is already a bitch-ass sentence. Well, I mean, he had a punctured lung and a traumatic brain injury. I don't know if he'll be coming out Period. with pristine. That's true. In pristine form. Yeah, that's true. Um, and, um... But anyway, I mean, these people are like cockroaches, you seriously. know, they just, he's going to do whatever he can to revive it until the day he dies. Yeah, that's true. The man is a narcissist after all, so. And so much more. Yeah, seriously. But anyway, that is all that I have on the River Road Fellowship and the absolute horrors that happened in it and after it. So, yeah. But I, mean, I think it is really incredible how strong Lindsay and Jess were with coming forward with their stories and even leaving the cult in the first place. Because, I mean, just the fact that both of their parents, I mean, Jess, Jess's, both of her parents and Lindsay's mother and, and sisters are still so tightly wound in this cult, even after finding out about the insane abuse that was going on. Yeah. So I mean, of course, like how how difficult would it have or was it to even admit that this was happening and to to walk away from your family and everything you've ever known? Yeah. I mean, I think nobody can truly put themselves in that headspace and no. understand how difficult it is. They are so incredibly brave because they literally went against every like incentive that they had and they're continuing to be an example for her sisters who are in the church right now and are possibly facing continued abuse right but i think what's also important is that her story and her refusal to quit is also a great example to other people who are going through this right now yeah that i can come out of it come out of it make noise and get justice at the end of the day and it's not just like you're going to be damned and shunned forever you can come out and hold people accountable definitely and you know the more she continues to fight and prove that i think that it will kind of you know set that example for others definitely which is really important yeah they were just incredibly brave and i think we can end it on that you know like what else is there to say Uh, yeah but (laughs) <laughs> how to make this transition Ooh, what all right guys this is this is part of the this show this is part of the show this is how we this is our palate cleanser this is how we end it and you know to have such a snap transition is, is jarring sometimes it, might, it is jarring it may seem insensitive but this is not what we're trying to do we're, we're not so much trying to tell you about the good things in our life to say anything about the story and be like this is what's happening to me it's just like 
this is a palate cleanser and we like to leave off on a positive note. And Correct. actually, Alex had a really good idea earlier and I'm going to pass it along because I think that it's a really cool idea. So as you know, or if you don't, we have a Discord server that is able to be accessed through our $2 tier on our Patreon. And he was talking about how we could potentially start a channel for good things. And we could not only share our good things every week, but we could hear about your weekly good things and things that are happening to you and celebrate your victories and your good times because why not lift each other up you know if you amen you might as well tell someone about the good thing that happened in your life and get a bunch of people being like hell yeah congrats like that only makes it feel much that much better you know well you know you got to focus on the good things very true so i'm gonna start with my good thing this week because i'm super pumped but tomorrow we're going to this like rock climbing like fun park kind of thing i don't know what to call it uh there's basically just like a bunch of shit that we can climb on and jump off of and do fun things and i'm very excited about it and maybe you'll see it on my close friends list on the instagram if i post about it which i probably will so anything anyway what's your good thing my good thing is that i got a raise at work this week hell yeah so we love a raise happy about that yup that's good Mm-hmm. That is a good thing. Foof. Anyway. Yeah, foof. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you would like to look at all the pictures we post of all the stories we talk about, check us out on Instagram at nottoday underscore podcast. If you would like to get exclusive bonus content plus access to our Discord server, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash nottodaypodcast. If you or anyone you know has a story of survival that you would like to share with us and hear on an upcoming listener's episode, send it to notodaypodcast at gmail.com. We have a TikTok that is not today podcast and a Twitter that is not today podcast, but the T on the end of podcast is a three. Because that makes sense. Because that makes sense. And just keep breathing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.